Well, happy Father's Day to everybody. Glad you're in church today. Um, we're going to get to the message in just a second, but I do just want to say um, how cool I thought last weekend was. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, we did not have service uh, together. We didn't have our, our worship service together, uh, but instead we did something called Serve the City, where we got outside the church and we went and served in a couple of different areas. We cleaned up Fairdale Park. We served uh, at Exodus Ministries down in Portland and the um, the food bank and uh, just an amazing time. So many of you served. And, you know, we really have a conviction around here. We want Louisville to be better. We want the South End to be better because we exist, because we're here. We think the church should make the city better. And so we really appreciate those of you who served and everything that you did. And not only does serving make a difference, but it's also a great way to connect with other people. That not only do you get to help other people, but you really benefit as well. And we believe around here, and we've just seen it happen so often, that the best way to connect is to serve together. You make good friends serving together and, and great relationships. So thank you. But not, we also, by, by not having service last week, we were also able, uh, in conjunction with that, to be able to get some work done around the facility, obviously uh, the back wall and the screen and different things, and still just making small improvements along the way. Uh, so many of you have joined us since we have moved into the building. So let me just give you just a quick uh, recap of how we got to where we are. Hope City Church uh, used to be 7515 Third Street Road. Our first service was here on February the 12th. Harvest Church of God previously met in this building. It was a church here. And so we merged together to make one church. Two, two churches made one church. And then Hope City Church moved from 7515 Third Street Road to this Arnoldtown location. February 12th was our first service together. And it was a miracle. It really was an answered prayer from God because for five years... Hope City Church had been praying about a location and needing more space, and we had, you know, tried everything and torn down every wall we could in the building over there. Um, and then God provided this as we not only got a building, but also got 20 or 30 amazing uh, brothers and sisters in, in Christ. Uh, and so that was really cool. And so we went from having about 130, 40 seats and chairs to about 320. Um, and we moved into the building and I went in the kids hallway and stuck my arms out and I couldn't touch either wall. And so we felt like that was a major upgrade in space. And, um, and so moved in, just wanted to get in here as fast as possible because honestly, because we needed the space, but knew when we moved in that we would have to do work on the building, get some things up to code, bathrooms and sprinklers and wall and carpet and paint and all kinds of stuff. And so we have been working with a company that we hired uh, contractors that we hired to do architectural drawings and, and all those types of things and permits and all those types of things so that we could do a major renovation. If you've ever done a home renovation, you know it always takes longer than you want it to take. And that's what I'm experiencing right now. Uh, and our team is experiencing. So we are, it is taking a little bit longer to get the drawings and all that stuff uh, and the architectural stuff done. But hopefully we'll have that done soon and we'll be able to give you more information and some visuals of what potentially it's going to look like when it's all done. Um, but God has been so faithful and so gracious to us through your generosity because many of you have been giving as a part of our One More Matters campaign really for four or five years. And so we've been able to save a lot of money, save a lot of cash and sell our other building. We're still gonna have to borrow some money and raise some more money to be able to do all the renovations we wanna do. But I just wanted to bring that up just to let you know, because I know so many of you have joined us along the way. And for some of you, you know, you joined us late in February or March or April, and you, you're not even sure kind of, um, you know, 
the story of that. So I want to make sure you knew that. And so uh, we're just excited about the future. We're excited about where we are now. But I'm also really excited about getting rid of this green carpet. Come on, anybody. Praise the Lord. Come on. It's probably going to be the last thing to go. No offense to green carpet, but we're ready for you to go, green. And uh, uh, But thank you to everybody who helped close in the wall and put the screen. We're just just little steady improvements until we can do our, our major renovation. So thank you to everybody who's giving and serving and helping us and, and, and all of those things, because this is an answer to prayer. And so even when the roof leaks a little bit, or even when the carpet's got, you know, whatever, I'm just always reminded, thank you, Jesus, that you provided a space for us, and not only a space for us, but joined our family with another family. It's just been an amazing time. So just wanted to say all that just to kind of update you on where we are. And as soon as we have some drawings and some visuals for you to see, we're going to show them to you. And, uh, and we're excited about that. But it is Father's Day. And uh, I heard a comedian say this week that Mother's Day is the number two most celebrated holiday behind Christmas. So he said that it's Jesus, then your mama is the way he said it. And that Father's Day is number 20. And I can't even think of 18 other holidays to, to know how he got there, but I know Columbus Day is 16, and so it's Christopher Columbus, and then a couple, and then Dad, and so um, we want to celebrate dads today, and I want every dad in the room to think to know that we think you're pretty amazing, and um, and we're thankful for you, and we've got your back, and uh, you know, I think I think our society and our culture. Um, you know, dads are maybe not as supported or celebrated as they could be or should be. And so what I want to do today, and I was looking back through my notes over the last several years leading up to today, and, and we hadn't really done this in a while on Father's Day. We, we normally do it for Mother's Day, but for Father's Day, we, you know, it's number 20 behind Columbus Day, so we don't normally do that. Uh, but what I want to do today is I specifically want to talk to dads. I want to talk to the men in the room, men and dads, and uh, don't check out on me if you're not a man or a dad, because I do believe there's something that all of us can take away from what we're going to talk about today. But I do want to specifically talk to the men and the fathers in the room. And my goal today is that you would leave here more encouraged. We could use a little more encouragement. You'd leave here more hopeful. You'd leave here more full of confidence. And the reason I want you to leave more full of confidence is because I just want to let all of the the teenagers, the sons, the daughters, and the ladies in the room know that even though we act like we are confident, we are not. We are full of self-doubt. We've got a bravado and a strut, and we like to talk like we, you know, really think we're, we're something, but we, are, we don't really believe that. And um, every man that I know, every dad that I know wonders if they have what it takes. Uh, we wonder if we're doing enough. We wonder if our best days were behind us in high school, you know? Um, thankful for Facebook time hops, you know, to about 12 years ago, uh, just to remind us that we, you know, could do some things that we're not sure if we can do anymore. But dads are really easy to make fun of, you know, um, with our dad jokes and our clothes and our dad bods. We're always embarrassing our kids, dad, dad, you know, and embarrassing uh, our families and Everybody, you know, has some parent or family member that embarrasses them, you know. And I, I read this this week. I thought it was pretty funny um, about a family who hired a professional biographer 
uh, to write their family history, wanted to kind of catalog the, the family history, but they were worried about how he would write and describe the black sheep in the family, Uncle George, because Uncle George had been executed in the electric chair for murder. And so they didn't know, they, want, you know, they weren't sure. And the, the biographer said, oh, that's no problem. I'll just write that Uncle George occupied a chair of applied electronics at an important government institution and that he was attached to his position by the strongest of ties and his death really came as a shock. I thought it was funnier than that. I didn't know if that was offensive. Anyway, um, but you know, listen, it's easy to make fun of dads, but the truth is that while we may be a little goofy or cheesy, or overweight, or like our cargo shorts, our influence is as crucial now as it's ever been. I want to just share some tragic stats with you. I'm just giving you a heads up. They're tragic. Um, 63% of suicides, the victim of the suicide is from fatherless homes. 90% of runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of all youths in prison are from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. And research done by Focus on the Family, I've shared some of this research from different organizations, but specifically done by Focus on the Family, they found that if a father does not go to church, even if the wife does or the mother does, only 18% chance that the child will be a future worshiper. If the father attends, but the mom doesn't, there's a 66% chance that the the child will be a a future worshiper. If if both mom and dad, 75% chance. And so I know that as I say that, that there are single moms in the room that are potentially discouraged to hear that. Those statistics can be alarming. And even as I was typing this up, I just thought, man, I don't want to discourage the single moms in the room I don't want to deny the fact and the impact, but I also don't want to discourage what God is potentially going to do in your family and through your child. And here's what I believe is I believe that God loves to do miracles. I believe God loves to do exceptions. And so I'm just believing that if you're here today and you're a single mom or there's not a father or father figure in the life of your child, I'm just believing that you're going to be the exception, that God's going to do something really miraculous, defy the odds and what could potentially happen um, in your family. And so from the stats that I I shared with you, we can see how important the influence of of a father is. But this isn't only a Christian view. Criminologists and psychologists and educators would tell you about the impact of a father in the home. But even with the significant impact our lives have on our children and our society— Men, especially middle-aged men in America, are struggling more than ever. Now listen, there's a lot of categories that are struggling. But especially middle-aged men in America are struggling more than ever. In 2021, the rate of suicide is highest in middle-aged white men. White males accounted for 69.7% of suicide deaths in 2021. And I think I just need to stop right here and just say, if you are considering taking your own life, don't do it. Don't do it. But 69, almost 70% middle-aged white men, uh, 70% of suicides, middle-aged white men. And for the first time in hundreds of years, life expectancy in white males has gone down, meaning that for the first time in generations, 
white males are living shorter than their parents and grandparents, and the causes of their death were coined by the medical industry as deaths of despair because the three leading causes of death in middle-aged men now are cirrhosis from alcoholism, drug overdoses, and suicide. Let me say it again. They are called deaths of despair because the three leading causes of death in middle-aged men now in America is cirrhosis from alcoholism, drug overdoses, and suicide. Aren't you glad you came to church today, everybody? Anybody feeling encouraged yet? I want to get to the good news and some hope in just a second, but I didn't want to rush past the fact that we need you now more than ever, dads. And the challenge for you to feel as if you're hopeful and you're making a difference and you're doing good and is maybe potentially harder than ever. And so let's see if we can get some good news and can't gain a little bit of hope from Jesus this morning. Grayson read a few verses today from the story of the baptism of Jesus, end of Matthew chapter three. We're gonna come back to that story in just a moment, but I wanna skip past it for a second to the next chapter. So you probably don't have your Bible out still, but if you do, you would just, depending on how your Bible's laid out, we read to the end of chapter three. You go to the next chapter, maybe turn the page, maybe it's on the same page, to chapter four in Matthew And we read what happens right after Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. The Bible says that the the Spirit leads him into the wilderness, and he fasts and he prays for 40 days. And towards the end of those 40 days, he's tempted by Satan. So this is what happens at the beginning of Matthew chapter 4 is Jesus is tempted by Satan. And the account that we have of this temptation is, Satan tempts Jesus specifically in three ways, three ways. He, he says uh, he tempts him to turn stones into bread because he was very hungry because he'd been fasting for 40 days. So we always just say around here, if you're ever fasting and you're really hungry, you're not doing it wrong. You're doing it like Jesus because you get hungry when you fast. And so the Satan says, hey, you turn the stones into bread. He says, uh, jump off this building and God will save you. And, and then he says, um, he says, bow down to me and I'll give you the kingdoms of the of the earth. And so we're not going to read it, but he tempts him in three ways uh, with, with bread, with uh, tempting God, testing God, and then with power or influence. But it's not so much what Satan was asking Jesus to, or, to do or tempting Jesus to do as why he was tempting it. If you go back and read at the beginning of every temptation, well, definitely the first two, but in these temptations, Satan says to Jesus first, before he, before he tempts him with something to do, he says, If you are the son of God, then turn these stones into bread. If you are the son of God, then throw yourself off this building and and God will will save you. And so, in other words, what Satan is, is trying to get Jesus to do is to prove himself, to prove his worth. In essence, Satan is saying to Jesus, if you really are the son of God, then prove it. Prove it. If you really are the son of God, then prove it. Prove your worth, prove your power, prove your influence. And I think every, every person in the room, but especially every man and every father in the room knows what it feels like to feel like you have to prove yourself, to feel like you have to prove your worth, your value. I don't want to get too clinical this morning But psychologically, this can be especially true for those of us with father wounds. So many father wounds in the room. 
We can spend the rest of our lives trying to prove ourselves long after we're out of our house uh, that we grew up in, sometimes long after our, our father has passed away. We can try to prove ourselves to a father who was never impressed by us or who was absent or potentially abusive. And it's not just major moments that can wound. It's also uh, hundreds of little moments along the way that, that can wound. These father wounds that we have cause us to spend the rest of our lives trying to prove something to someone, our father, our father figure. How do we do this? Well, we, we try to build big businesses or big muscles or big bank accounts. We buy big trucks or big houses. And all the while, we are oblivious to the fact that one of the driving forces behind the reason that we do everything that we do is a father wound. It's a father wound. We're trying to prove something to a father that did not give us what we need. And the point's not to cast blame. I believe that all the dads that I know try to do the best that they can. Hurt people, hurt people. Wounded people, wound people. So the point is not to cast blame on our dad. The reality is, is that I'm doing the best that I can do, but I'm giving my children some father wounds. And they'll have to deal with those as they get older. And so we all carry this around. But it's important to know that, that it drives us. It motivates us. Not just the men in the room, the women in the room too. That we're driven by that. Trying to prove something to a father or a father figure affirmation or presence or accomplishment. And John Eldridge, who famously wrote the book Wild at Heart, maybe you've heard of that or read that. He, he's written many books, but one of the books that he's written that I would highly recommend to all the men in the room, if you're a reader, is a book called Fathered by God. Fathered by God. And a couple, I read this a couple of years ago. I was just incredibly moved by this book. But, but in there, he describes... In his own words, this is not in the Bible, he, he, he puts it, he kind of created this, uh, these stages, but he describes what he calls the six stages of every man's journey, specifically for men. Six stages of every man's journey. And here, I want to give them to you. Here are the six that, the way that he phrased them. He said, there's boyhood, then there's the cowboy phase. Then there's the warrior phase, then there's the lover phase, then there's the king phase, and then there is the sage phase. And these are not all exact on a timeline of ages, and some of them overlap in some ways, but they do follow a pattern. And I want to just give these to you. Eldridge says that the boyhood phase is, you know, from birth to potentially 10, 11, 12 years old. If you are privileged enough to have a boyhood, a childhood, and it's a time of wonder and exploration of tree houses and comic books and mud puddles and popsicles. And I'm raising two in the boyhood phase right now. But what's most important in the boyhood phase is that your father, you, you view your father as your hero. He's your hero. And then next, after the boyhood phase, comes the cowboy stage usually around the early teenage years, maybe into your early 20s. And, and you don't have a horse necessarily, but maybe you get a car. 
times of great adventure and testing and hard work, and maybe you learn how to hunt or throw a curveball. You learn how to drive or go hiking in the woods, or you take a spring break trip. And it's a time of taking chances and experiencing danger. And what's really important during this time is that you experience failure. And after the cowboy stage, Eldridge says, what's next is you, you move into the warrior phase. And the warrior phase hopefully begins in your early 20s and lasts maybe into your 30s. And what happens in the warrior phase is that you have a cause. You have something to fight for. Maybe you go to law school or you learn a trade or you join the army or you start a business. But what's most important is that you have the courage to try something bold and audacious in the warrior phase. Potentially at the same time in the warrior phase, you could enter into the lover phase and the lover phase is when your heart experiences love and passion and you become unreasonably romantic. Come on, ladies. You remember when he was unreasonably romantic? Unreasonably romantic. In the lover phase. And somebody resonated with somebody. And it's then and only then, Eldridge argues through the warrior phase and the lover phase, that you can begin the king phase. And this is where you become maybe a boss at work or a leader of your extended family, or maybe you have children of your own and, and now you have your own family to lead. Maybe you have some young warriors of your own. And it's not that you're a tyrant. It's that you move from a warrior to a king who has to lead with humility, putting the needs of others ahead of your own. And then finally, Eldridge says, you enter the sage phase. You either have no hair or maybe gray hair. Your kids have probably left the house. Maybe you've retired from your role at the company. But now you are full of knowledge and wisdom and your mission in life is to share that wisdom and knowledge with others. Now, the reason I tell you all of that is because Eldridge argues in his experience as a, as a licensed clinical uh, psychologist, he argues that most men get stuck in the cowboy phase, phase two. They never grow up leaving fun and games behind. And he says the reason that most men get stuck in the cowboy phase is because they are not initiated, his word, they're not initiated by a father or a father figure. And this is a massive oversimplification, but in essence, Eldridge says that in every man's life, there must come a point when a man that they look up to, a father or a father figure, confirms for them that they do have what it takes to be a man that they can be a warrior, a lover, a king. And if we don't receive that, we do get older in age, but we stay that 16 or 18 or 20-year-old boy on the inside. It doesn't mean we don't take on manly responsibilities in other phases. It just means that when we look in the mirror, no matter how old we are or how many responsibilities we have, we never see ourselves as a warrior, a lover, or a king. And so at some point, Eldridge says, 
we need a father or a father figure to confirm that we have what it takes. We have what it takes. And I don't know how you feel when you hear all of that. But I must admit to you that, that when I read Eldridge's book, I thought about my own life. I thought about so many of the men that I've counseled and walked with over the years. And there's something to it. There's real wisdom in it. Because I have talked to a lot of 40 and 50-year-old cowboys. They're still looking for a, an adventure, a rodeo, a traveling rodeo to join, or a feud to fight. And this brings us back to our scripture today about Jesus' baptism. Because in these verses that we, we read, we get to hear how God feels about his son. It's only happened twice in all of the Gospels that constantly Jesus and God, Father and Son, were communicating, but only twice in the Gospels did other people get to hear God talk to Jesus. Audibly, other people heard the conversation between God and Jesus. Only happened twice. Happened at his baptism. We read about that. Happened in, uh, I think it's Matthew 17, on the Mount of Transfiguration. And both times, God kind of, in essence, said the same thing that we read today. And I want to look at it again. I'm just going to read verses 16 and 17, Matthew chapter 3. It says, After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. Verse 17, And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Now, we normally, almost always, read the New Living Translation. That's what we read today. But I want to just read from the NIV translation uh, this morning because it says it just a little bit differently. Verse 17 in the New, New, New International Version, God says, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I think it's so interesting based on what we just talked about with the, the, the stages that Eldridge uh, described, that here we find a 30-year-old single Jesus getting ready to enter into his mission in life, his purpose in life. And here is his father saying to him, you're my son, and I love you, and I'm pleased with you. An initiation of sorts, God saying to Jesus, before he has accomplished anything that we have, I'm sure he's accomplished things, but as far as his purpose in life, before he has accomplished or done anything, and in front of other people, God the Father says to his 30-year-old son, you're my son, I love you, and I'm pleased with you. We could, we could rephrase or, or kind of paraphrase and and God just said, you're my son, I love you, and I'm proud of you. You're my son, I love you, and I'm proud of you. And do you remember what Satan tempted Jesus with? You remember we talked about it? Every time Satan would go to tempt Jesus, he would start by saying, if you really are the son of God, then prove it. But Jesus felt no need to prove it. Now, why would Jesus feel no need to prove it? Because 35, 37, 38 days ago, 
he heard his father say, you're my son. I love you. I'm proud of you. Of course, Jesus felt no need to prove that he was God's son because his father had just told him, you're my son. And I love you. And I'm proud of you. Now, what do we do with this? What do do we do with this exchange, this encounter between God the Father and Jesus the Son on this Father's Day? Well, I want to give you two things I think we can do with this, at least two. The first is this. I, I know there are many men in this room who never heard these words from your father. Your father never said to you, I'm glad you're my son, and I love you, and I'm proud of you. Maybe, maybe he left when you were young. Maybe he was around, but he was distant. And some of you never heard the words from your father, I love you. Or, or you never received affirmation or affection. And like I said earlier, the point is not to, to place blame. We do the best we can do. We're wounded. We're hurt. We don't have the tools in the tool chest that we need to do the best that we could do. So the point is not to to place blame, but it is to acknowledge that for many of you dads, men in the room, you missed a significant need in your journey to manhood. And you've been trying to figure it out as you go, but you were never initiated by a father or a father figure. You were never affirmed or loved or told that you were loved by a father or a father figure figure. And listen, I know it's not the same thing. And even as I say this, it won't feel the same as if your dad said it, but it's still true. God says these words to you today, that you are his son. If you've put your place, your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a child of God, that you are his son and he loves you and he is proud of you. He's proud of you. God, your heavenly father, claims you. My dad used to always say it like this to me. He would say, you know, God doesn't just love you, he likes you. Which was important for me to hear because, you know, we all love people we don't like. They come over at Thanksgiving most of the time. But I grew up in church, you know, so um, I knew, I I was singing, you know, Jesus loves me since I was a little kid. I knew God loved me. Everybody told me God loved me, so I knew God loved me. But you kind of feel like he has to love you, like God God has to love me. But there was something about hearing that God didn't just love me, he liked me. I would say that to you too. He doesn't just love you, he likes you. He's proud of you. He claims you. And some of you are still trying to be cowboys. You're still trying to find an adventure. You're living like an outlaw. But listen, you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to keep trying to prove yourself to cure some father wound, that it's possible, not easy, but possible to receive the love of a heavenly father. You can leave all that behind. Live like someone who knows that they are loved. So I think that's the first thing that we could do is we read this today. Men, dads, I think we could... We could, we could acknowledge the fact that, that potentially we missed, it, a lack of, missed a great need in our own journey to manhood and that somehow we could 
we could receive that from our Heavenly Father. But I think the second thing that we could do, all the dads in the room, is I think we could use this story as a model for our own families. And I think it's, it's time that we start using this kind of language with our children. I'm glad you're mine. I love you. And I'm proud of you. Even as I say that, some of you are imagining, like, how do I even get that started? <laughs> because we're not great at it, are we, fellas? I mean, you know, I'm stereotyping a little bit here, but, like, we're a little bit awkward, you know, and then we want to bring it up, but then we make a sarcastic joke, and then we put our head down, and we're like, well, I mean, you know, I love you, you know. But to be able to look someone in the eye, look your son, your daughter in the eye, and to say, I'm glad you're mine. I love you. I'm proud of you. I think we can use this model, this story from God to his son, Jesus, and we can begin to practice this and introduce this into our families. But for many of us, that means we're going to have to change the way we do it. We're going to have to break the chain. We're going to have to change the family tree. We're going to have to break some generational curses or some bondage or the way that we go about doing things. We're going to have to change the way we do it. It wasn't true until today, but guess what changed today? We are now huggers in this family. We're, we're now huggers. Listen, I know I've never told you this a lot before, but I just want you to know I love you, Dad. Like, what, what you got cancer or something? What happened? Like, no, no, no. I just want you to know I love you, and I'm glad you're mine, and I'm not dying. I just love you. I'm proud of you. We start introducing this into our families. We break the chain. Two, three, four generations from now, people talk back about grandpa so-and-so or great papa so-and-so and how affectionate he was and how loving he was and how affirming he was. He just couldn't stop telling his kids and his grandkids how, how proud he was of them and how much he loved them and how much he showed that love. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but I've started trying to practice this with, with, with my boys. It was always a lot easier for me to be affectionate with my girls, you know, and just tell them I love them and, and hug them and stuff like that. They are very annoyed by it, but I love annoying them with it. But it was, you know, with my boys... They just get on my nerves more, honestly, if I'm just being honest with you. They're wonderful kids, but, you know, you know what I mean. So put them to bed. I don't put them to bed every night. You know, when you're putting two boys to bed, you got a tag team. Sometimes it's her night. Sometimes it's my night. But when it's my night, I, I started getting in the habit. I'd put them to bed, and, and I would take my hands. I'd take my hands. I'd, I'd put them on their face, and I'd say, I want to tell you something. I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm glad you're mine. I'm glad God decided of all the kids in the world that I get to be your dad. I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm glad you're mine. And when I say that, it's almost like heaven opens and there's this amazing spirit. I'm just kidding. They're like, dad, stop touching me. Like they don't, there's not, it's not, it's not a Hallmark movie. They make like fart noises and stuff. But it doesn't matter. Because it's another entry into their heart and into their soul. 
My dad loves me. He's proud of me. And he's glad that I'm his. And so dads, listen to me. We've got to start bringing this into our families. We've got to start using this kind of language. Listen, just own the awkward. Just tell your kids, listen, Pastor Jason just preached on this. This is going to be really awkward, but let's just get past the awkward. Love you and work your way into it. But it's going to change with us. You hear me? It's going to change with us. And being a dad is hard. And quite honestly, there's a lot of things that are hard. But today's Father's Day, so we're going to talk about dads. Being a dad is hard. But listen to me, you can do it. You can do it. We've got your back at Hope City. We love you, and we are proud of you. And listen, if nothing else, you decided to get up and to come to church on Father's Day. This was the one day you could have got out of it. Your wife says to you or whoever says to you, hey, what do you want to do for Father's Day? You say, well, let's don't go to church. Let's go have brunch or let's do something else or go to the waterfront or whatever. But you said, no, no, whatever it is, we'll do it after church. You came to church today. Good job by you. You're changing your family, changing your family tree. Listen to me. You want to change the world? You want to change the world, make a big impact on the world? Let me tell you how to do it. Tell your kids you love them. Tell them you're proud of them. And tell them that you're glad that they're yours. So I'm going to pray for us in just a moment. And we get the opportunity, we do this every week, but we get the opportunity to take communion together. Prayer volunteers will be up front and we'll pray together. Kaylee and the team will lead us. We'll worship together. Just a lot of opportunity to, to, to worship and practice our, our, our spirituality. But all of us today, not just the dads in the room, but all of us today, when we come to the table, if you'd like to participate in that, when we come to the table and we take the bread and we dip it in the juice, we have a tangible, no doubt about it, don't have to wonder reminder of how God feels about us. That he didn't begrudgingly send Jesus. He doesn't roll his eyes when you try to talk to him. He's not disappointed in you or exhausted by you. You're his son. You're his daughter. He loves you. He's pleased with you. So when you take that bread and you dip it in there and you take communion today, I want you to remember that through the, through the body that was broken and the blood that was shed by Jesus Christ, I don't want you, maybe you're wondering today, maybe you're doubting, I want you to be confident today that because of Jesus Christ on the cross, you don't have to wonder how your heavenly father feels about you. He loves you. He's proud of you. He claims you. Let's pray.